welcome back to our Brooklyn Bites. This is episode 136. I am Stephanie. Uh, I'm Leon. I heard you have a very incredible game to talk about this week. You think it's incredible? I'm trying to hype it up here. (laughs) Trying to make it sound exciting. Well, Russian news is very popular these days. That's true. It's true. The Russians have been in the news lately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this seems like a very topical game to talk about. Right. What better game than Russian attack? Exactly. (laughs) It is not known as Russian attack everywhere. How so? Only in the U.S. was it given that title. Around the world, it was known as Green Beret. Do you know another difference between those two games? Is there more? Well, there's one more. <laughs> so, in the American version, mm-hmm. in between the stages, it would say, or when you start the game, it says, rescue the prisoners of war. Yeah. In Green Beret, it would say, rescue the captives. Uh-huh. So, you have POWs, American. Yeah. Europe, rescue the captives. Strange difference. Yeah. I guess uh, we might as well at least introduce the game first before getting into the deep differences. Okay, okay. Uh, Russian Attack, or Green Beret if you prefer, was released by Konami in 1985. It was an arcade game that I have some memories of at that time. I feel like I've played it a bit, Mm -hmm. even though I really don't remember a lot of specifics about the game. So that's why I kind of wanted to go back to it and try it out again. It's a one or two player game, although I think they take turns, right? I don't think it's simultaneous. On the arcade, it's not. On the NES version, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so for home versions, they added that. Yeah, I only know the NES version. I don't know about the other home versions. Uh-huh. You get a bonus life at 30,000 points, as it tells you when you start the game. Okay. And then again at 70,000 points. And then every 70,000 points thereafter. Hmm. So, at least they give you a fighting chance. Yeah. So you're given your mission at the start, rescue prisoners of war. That's all it says. Mm-hmm. Do they not use that term in other countries, maybe? I feel like it's a universal it's, term. Right? That's what I would think. Okay. And you know how we know if that SNK game, POW, is uh-huh. called something else, like in another country? Right. Okay. That's true. I'll, I'll that would be a good test. Uh-huh. Well, the graphics were a lot simpler than I remember when I first fired this game. <laughs> yeah. <up. laughs> it was some- a 1985 game. I must be confusing this with something else, because I feel like it should have been more robust. I'm not really sure what else looks like this game, though. For some reason, I had games like Rolling Thunder or Midnight Resistance on my mind. Do you know the year of Rolling Thunder? Because that does look much better than this game. Yeah, that came a little bit later, I It think. is later, because I know Contra was 87, and that's way better than this. Mm-hmm. At any rate, I figured, let me just try this game out and mm-hmm. see if it's what I thought it was. Okay. <laughs> and it's a side-scrolling... Run and gun, but really it's more like a run and knife action game. Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot of gunning going on. A little Rambo inspiration, perhaps? Yeah, sure, I can see that. There's two buttons to attack with. One is your basic knife stab maneuver, which obviously means you can only hit enemies that are within arm's length distance. Mm -hmm. And the other is your secondary weapon that's picked up from enemies. This game breaks one of my golden rules of gaming. Do you Mm -hmm. know what that is? Uh, Let's see. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Close. Never map the jump button to the up on the D-pad. That's right. Left and right to control, but then up to jump. Mm -hmm. Or up and left to go diagonally. 
Yes. Because right. you, you, you can jump straight up, too. You can jump straight up. And once you commit to a jump, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're going forward, and that's it. And it feels like a little floaty, too. It is floaty. It feels like the jump is like maybe... Like <laughs> Yeah, it feels like the jump is a little slower than it would have taken you to run or walk in the same distance. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, you can attack left and right, but you can also attack downwards, too, because you can duck. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, two heights of attack. Right, so you can't go down to attack, and that does help. But you can't, like, attack downwards or attack upwards. Right. You can just attack low or high. Yeah. He can change direction while he's ducking, while he's laying prone on the ground. He's a Green Beret. Those guys can do anything. He can change direction at will and attack either forward or behind. That's pretty cool. And very rapidly, too. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm pretty impressed with that. <laughs> now, are we sure we're fighting Russians here? Did the game explicitly say that? Because I don't remember the game ever saying, get the Russians. It just... Well, it really didn't outright say it, but it's implied by all the red stars on Does that really... all the enemy artillery that and That kind of means like Soviets or something? Yeah, I think okay. so. Red Army. That's, okay. who, that's who you're attacking. All right. <laughs> the first stage is... It shows you in the progress bar when you complete the stage. It says, like, the first stage was called Missile. But all these enemy soldiers are charging in, and they're trying to tackle him, pretty much. Yeah, these enemies are very unintelligent. A lot of them are carrying guns, but they're not even shooting. They're just, instead, just trying to run up and grab. They walk in one direction, and that's it. Uh Uh-huh. All that does is lead them into range of the knife. So I just continuously stab and they just go down. Mm -hmm. There are some stationary enemies along the way too, though. There is the grenade launcher guy. He's got like one of those... The mortar? Yeah, like the mortar buried in the ground and he just fires in a fixed sort of... But I like how that guy fires and it only goes like three feet Mm -hmm. in front of him. It's a very predictable sort of flight path. Yeah, but I mean, usually those are supposed to be like long range weapons, Mm -hmm. not like fire right in front of me. Right. (laughs) Makes no sense. They do get annoying at some point, though. They do, because they're like a constant arc of a missile that explodes, and that little cloud that explodes can hurt you. Yeah, right. I've noticed that. Like, I might be closer to him, but then I back into the cloud, Mm -hmm. and that'll kill me outright. Right. So besides those guys, you've also got landmines in fixed positions, too. Mm -hmm. Convenient that the enemy is completely unaffected by any of these landmines or mortars blowing up or whatever. But you can get rid of the landmines. Yeah, so it is possible to, I guess, grenade them if you've got grenades. Yeah, or the bazooka. Mm-hmm. That works? If you lay down and fire yep. along the ground? That'll You'll knock them all in a row. Oh, okay, uh-huh. I, never, I never actually tried that. Yep. That's cool. During the game, though, there are a lot of ladders, too. Most of the action is on the ground, but then there's a lot of opportunities to go up to, like, a second level mm-hmm. uh, above ground level. So a lot of times you run into a ladder, you can climb up to an upper level... Sometimes it's even a third level. On some buildings, you can climb all the way up to the top. Did you ever encounter going up a ladder with a guy on the ladder at the same time? Does he kill you? Like, yeah. Oh, he does, right? Yeah, okay. he does. Oh, I was uh, you can even like go up partway on a ladder, and then there's a guy running towards the ladder, and then he'll come down the ladder. Oh, all right. And he'll get you. Yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> but one advantage of going up the ladder onto the next level is that you don't have to deal with the landmines. So at least that is one reason to want to do that. There are times, though, when I'm running on the upper level, and I try to duck to avoid incoming fire, but then I'm over a ladder, so then I end up going down the ladder instead. So that is somewhat annoying at times, too. Mm-hmm. That can get in the way. I see that. Okay. But and then I ended up getting killed because of that instead of getting shot. Mm-hmm. Now, some enemies, they do carry a type of weapon. 
They can be picked up after killing that enemy. But the thing is, those weapons, they have limited ammo. So it's not like you pick it up and now suddenly you're empowered for the rest of the game, as long as you're alive or whatever. Mm -hmm. They usually have a fixed number of charges, usually three or four. So it's really kind of your panic button weapon. It's not like you can just use it constantly. The first one I found was the flamethrower. I think that's the one that's on the first stage, which fires left or right in a straight line. And it sears the flesh off of any enemy soldiers it hits. Yeah, what did you think about that effect? I thought it looked kind of cool. It was kind of cool, right? It just leaves behind kind of this burning skeleton yeah. in its place. It's pretty gruesome, but, you know, wars, wars hell. Uh-huh. It's right. harsh. But eventually, in the first stage, you reach this row of missile launchers, and then you hear a siren, and a truck pulls in, mm-hmm. and a series of enemies start charging out. I noticed the most annoying one is this flying kick guy. The normal enemies that you run into, they're just kind of charging towards you blindly. But this guy suddenly throws a curveball and jumps up into the air. Yeah, he does like a karate kick. Uh-huh. I notice he can even hit me even when I'm lying down on the ground. Mm-hmm. So he'll end up landing right on me and take me out that way. It's tricky because if you just stand there with your knife, he kind of does a drop kick in a way where he'll hit you. Yeah. But if you just move like backwards a little bit, mm-hmm. you can kill him as he's like landing his drop kick. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. The one way that I found that best dealt with him was to just jump straight up and then get him midair before, okay. before he completes his full arc. Like the same way you're kind of committed to your jump once you jump. He is. So too. is he. The only thing that gets tricky with that is when they have like three or four guys later on each other, mm-hmm. you know, and then when you jump, you might land on an enemy that's not jumping, you know? Yeah. Because you're high up in the air, you can't knife the enemy down below you as you're falling. Yeah. It's all about timing. Mm-hmm. When you first run into this guy, that is more or less the end of level fight. Uh, it's not like there's a big boss or anything. Yeah, it's just like a wave of enemies. Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of the theme of all the end of these levels. Yeah. And upon clearing it, it says, well done, first target overcome. And then it gives you the same mission again, rescue the prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. Give you like a little map at the bottom, sort of. A little progress bar. Progress bar, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And you get a little bit of music, because really most of the game doesn't have much music at all. No, it's very annoying. (laughs) The music is pretty much just this constant, like, military-style snare drum rhythm. Mm -hmm. You get a little tune when you're killed, and then maybe a little tune when you complete the level, but that's about it. Yeah, it seems almost like a little unfinished. It's like this really noisy snare Mm -hmm. sound, but it doesn't sound good, and it just loops over and over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very basic. Uh Uh-huh. So then you go on to the next level, which is just labeled Harbor, and you see a lot of scenery of just warehouses and shipping containers, just like you're by the docks. Now, this is definitely winter, too. So you definitely, I talked about it before, but like whether or not this is Russia or not, yeah. but I mean, it probably is because everyone's wearing like these fur coats and stuff. Uh-huh. You know, those... It's always winter in Russia, right? Yeah, right. It's always cold. <laughs> you see snow on the mountains in the background. Uh-huh. Some regular riflemen will show up now and they shoot single shots. So now you have a bit more weaponry coming towards you. They're at least nice enough to pause before they shoot. So they run in, they kind of pose and take their shot. And then you you get a lot of warning that they're about to shoot. So you can deal with that. And the bullet was very slow, too. Mm -hmm. Now the weapon that you can pick up, the rocket launcher, or maybe it's an RPG of some kind. Grenade launcher, maybe. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Now enemies approach from both sides of the screen, and they seem to want to kind of meet in the middle sandwich you in so that as you're dealing with a guy on one side that here comes another guy from the other side it's best to try to stay out of the middle try not to be like in the exact middle of the screen stay a little bit left or a little Looked, bit right yeah that's a good strategy you mm-hmm. know this way you have a little more buffer to deal with yeah you have uh, to kind of constantly moving a little back and forth right mm-hmm. 
on this level too, you got to start dealing with parachuting guys floating in. I noticed the flying kick guy is harassing me at the exact same time as the first parachute guy shows mm-hmm. up. And that guy shoots, right? He's like dropping, I don't think they're quite grenades, but definitely lobbing fire from above okay. in some way. Actually, he might be a flying kick guy if he lands. If he makes it to the ground, mm-hmm. he'll lose his parachute and then he becomes like one of those annoying uh, kick guys. <laughs> so when I first ran into this guy, I was on top of one of the shipping containers and I thought, all right, I'm going to jump off the container and try to deal with him that way. I'm going to stab him midair. But I ended up dying anyway because I made contact with his foot after I stabbed him. So I think that counted as a kick against me. Oh, wow. I don't think that's fair. Doesn't sound it, no. I say the dead should not be allowed to kick back. (laughs) He was already dead. I mean, if he could kick, how much could that hurt? I know, I know, it's not right. But at the end of these docks is a Russian submarine. And in this part of the level, these dog trainers show up. And they start sending in attack dogs. How can you kill an innocent dog? You would think. Don't you feel bad doing that? I think they're trying to find your weakness. They're trying to test you. Let's see if he's willing to go this far. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are more like zombie dogs, you know, where you can kind of justify it. Right. I can kill an innocent creature. At least they don't yelp every time you kill them. No. <laughs> Another strange thing that I found during this part of the game is that as I'm fighting, it tells me, hurry up. But I don't see a timer of any kind. There is a time limit. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah, you are timed. I was wondering, like, if you could just kind of stand there mm-hmm. and just kind of just rack up points. Yeah. But you are invisibly timed. In a way. Okay. Maybe that's what was going on. Yeah, it just took a little bit too long getting there. Because I kept waiting for it to end, and then they got the warning. Mm-hmm. But then I noticed as soon as I got to the right edge of the screen, then it ended the stage. Okay. So maybe that was the part that I was missing. Huh. I had to get oh, to like the very maybe. end to kind yeah. of force it. To be yeah, if, if you don't do that, it'll say time up, and then you die. Okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't run into that, at least. <laughs> so then the next area that I move on to, I get the same little end of level thing at the end and then it tells me to go on to the next stage which is bridge that's the third area obviously these stages seem to be named after the destination that's at the end of the stage that's the thing that you're trying to get to so it starts off moving along a brick wall there's barbed wire along the top outside of what looks like maybe an airbase the new weapon that's dropped in this area by enemies is the grenade Sometimes you'll kill them and they'll leave the grenade behind and sometimes they'll throw the grenade and I guess they'll miss and then the grenade will just stay on the screen and and then you can pick it up. I noticed that happened a few times. With the grenade, it's not really a direct like fire type of weapon like the other ones. Now you have to sort of try to guess like what the arc of of the throw is like. Uh Yeah, so it's a little more difficult or at least something that you have to get used to. I never liked the grenade. That's my least favorite. Mm -hmm. I think I'd rather use a knife over a grenade. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. I mean, maybe there are some situations where if you know a certain type of enemy is coming out, they're going to be in a certain spot. You can Mm -hmm. throw it ahead of time. I noticed, too, the way the grenade works is if you're up on the upper level and you throw the grenade, the grenade will, you know, impact the level that you're on. It doesn't drop down to the ground below you. Right, that's true. So it's not like you can be near a ladder and then there's some enemies at the bottom and then you can throw the grenade. Yeah, just drop it it down. Uh It doesn't work like that. (laughs) Put it down a ladder. It doesn't mm-hmm. work either. But this level, it starts to get a little more busy. I notice the difficulty starts to ramp up a little bit. A lot more enemies starting to show up on the screen at the same time. Running up along the walls on the second level set me up to be pinned by approaching soldiers while the mortar guys are on the ground firing up. Because their shots can reach up to that level. Mm-hmm. 
on the landmines, you can jump over them too if you have enough space. It's a little tricky. Yeah. Because when they, sometimes they put the landmines next to each other, so you mm-hmm. have to really, because it is a fixed distance when you jump, mm-hmm. how to like what your next jump's going to be, if you're going to land on the next landmine or not. Yeah. So it's, it is a little tricky. Definitely harder to do in this space. And then a lot of times with the landmines, they'll throw in guys who crawl on the bottom. Yes. So as you're jumping, like, you see the little crawling guy come out. And you can't really duck because you're in between, like, two landmines. Mm-hmm. So it definitely gets complicated. The crawling guys take up more space because they're horizontal. Yeah. <laughs> so there's more chances to run into them somehow. So just because we're on a later stage, the flying kick guy has not taken a break. He's still showing up and still harassing me. And still continues to be annoying. But at least they color coat them. Like, you know... Yes. Like, I think uh, they have green coats. Okay. And then the regular guys just have, like, brown coats. All right. Also, he runs a little faster than the other guys. He doesn't run at the same rate. He runs past them if there's a bunch of them coming out. And mm-hmm. he'll run to the front and make sure he gets his drop kick in. <laughs> <laughs> but also the previous weapons start to show up, too. So you might get a mix of, like, flamethrower or the rocket launcher... At the same time, so you can kind of pick and choose which one you want to use. Maybe avoid the one that you don't want. Yeah, I was going to say, because you can only pick up one weapon at a time. Mm -hmm. So if you accidentally pick up the grenade when you have the bazooka or rocket launcher, then you lose that weapon, right? You can't... Yeah. It won't, like, fly out of you because you picked up the next one. I think it's gone. Uh, Yeah, I think that's... I remember it, too. (laughs) But eventually, towards the later half of the level, you get to an airfield. There's some jet fighters in the background. Some uh, stacks of logs, timber. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right before you get to what looks like the final destination, which is the steel bridge that the level is named after. And at this point, these three gyrocopters fly in at the same time. These little, like, they're almost like go-karts with, like, helicopter propellers attached to them. Yeah, that's what they look like, right? (laughs) I I mean, I thought this would be, like, a bigger fight. I thought there would be something special to attack them. Turns out they're just regular soldiers. You know, I used the grenade launcher against one of them, and that was no problem. And then... The rest, I just stabbed them the way <laughs> I would any other. Yeah, the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, well, I just jumped up and stabbed them, uh, and that was it. He yeah, was, he was it. gone. So a bit anticlimactic in that respect. Mm-hmm. So the next stage is uh, represented on that little progress bar as just a figure of a man. Yeah, So no name. No name. Presumably, that's one of the prisoners, I guess. So that means that the prisoners are up ahead. Yeah, because at this whole time, you haven't rescued any of the POWs. Right, right. It just keeps telling you, good job. Now go rescue the POWs. Mm -hmm. So now you're finally going to get your chance. Yeah, so now we're outside some kind of snowy barracks. There's a lot of ladders with very small, even third-level platforms to move up to. Every time I run into a ladder, I just keep climbing it. But with the ladders, too, when you jump, you can jump and then grab a ladder. Uh Uh-huh. Which sometimes I don't want to do that. Like, I want to jump. But I want to keep going on the same level. But because I'm in the air, the guy automatically like latches on to the ladder. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever noticed that happens to you a lot. Yeah, that does happen occasionally. Not always what I want, but sometimes it does help too. Mm-hmm. Now I realize too that I really should stay away from the left edge of the screen because as you're moving to the right, the screen scrolls with you and you sort of stay a fixed distance away from the right edge. So you can always kind of see enemies entering from that side. But on the left side... You can't scroll backwards. You can't reverse the direction of the game. But you can get all the way to the left edge of the screen. That would allow enemies to just run right into you as they enter. So I got crunched a few times doing that. Things get a lot more crazy on this stage. You've got to start dealing with multiple enemies at the same time. Yeah, they throw all the enemies at you. Did you get dogs on? I don't remember the dogs. Uh, I don't think the dogs came back for this one. 
But you do have stuff like landmines at the same time, along with parachute guys coming in and grenade launcher guys showing up. And it's all just a mix of everything. Mm -hmm. Towards the end is what looks like a prison camp with some flamethrower guys. So pretty much the guys have this weapon that you saw in the very beginning of the game. Pretty fast, but I think you can sort of tell when they're about to shoot. Mm-hmm. And you can duck. duck yeah. Those guys will duck also, and they'll shoot along the ground. So sometimes you have to jump over the flame blast. Mm-hmm. It's not too bad. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be in the path of that. Mm-hmm. And it is instant kill, so when you die, it puts you back at like sort of a midway point. Yeah, level. there's some kind of invisible checkpoint. There's no visible thing that you kind of trigger. Yeah, I wasn't sure either how that worked. But it just kind of puts you back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, that's pretty much the end of the guys you end up having to fight. After beating them, you just get a scene of four guys tied to a stake. Yeah. (laughs) They're being set free while the Star Spangled Banner plays in the background. And everyone is saluting. Yeah, good job. Once again, it says, well done. Yeah. Mission accomplished. But then it says, proceed to the next camp. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's your job's never done. (laughs) Where stage five begins. And so I guess there are more POWs out there. Mm-hmm. So the game restarts, but it's a little bit faster, maybe? I don't know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or, I mean, it seems a little bit more intense. More crowded, more enemies on mm-hmm. the screen, you know, as opposed to stage one. And now they attack in threes. Most of the enemies are charging out, but there's at least three of them together. Okay. All in a row. Played it a little bit, but I got... Yeah, I didn't get that far. I got uh-huh. overwhelmed pretty fast. So that was that. <laughs> the game has no continues. You just get the three lives you start with, and then whatever you earn along the way with your bonus points. Yeah. Not an easy game if you never played it before. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get used to some of the mechanics. Right. But if you're good at this game, you can beat it in, like, ten minutes, probably. Sure. I think that's about right. <laughs> if that's what you're looking for. I mean, it is, like, a never-ending game. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking to see the ending, I guess. Right. It's pretty short. I mean, to me, it feels like a 1983 game or so. Because mm-hmm. even, like, the background graphics, no parallax scrolling or anything. But the background graphics reminds me of, like, something you'd make on the Koala Pad on, like, the Atari. <laughs> it's very, like, dithered, pixel, like, yeah. artwork. And very, very simplistic. Very mm-hmm. plain. It's just enough to kind of convey what they're going for. Yeah. But nothing too complex. And, and the colors are sort of muted. And it's, uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. graphically not great. Right. So what title do you think you prefer for this game? Do you like Russian Attack better, or do you like Green Beret better? I mean, I, I always remembered it as Russian Attack. That's mm-hmm. how I played it in the arcades and on Nintendo, so... So I should point out, too, it's Rush, R-U-S-H, right. yeah. apostrophe N, and then Attack. So yeah, it's, it's not, not literally, like Russian. It's, it's not Russian Attack. Right. But it's clearly yeah. they're playing yeah. on the words a little bit. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're playing up the whole Cold War rivalry of the time, mm-hmm. and then, you know the 80s action movies that were popular at the time. Sure, definitely. So Very timely game. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think for naming, I think when I started getting into MAME in like the early 90s, that's where I first learned of Green Beret. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this game is just like Russian Attack. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I first learned. I don't remember ever hearing, at least that that I remember. Uh, maybe there's some home ports that were called Green Beret. I don't know. Yeah, well, certainly anything that was released outside of the U.S., particularly the European computer versions were all called Green Beret. They were? Okay. Mm -hmm. In terms of the arcade game, the uh, side art depicts this mustache commando wearing a beret. Was it a Green Beret? Well, it's kind of stenciled artwork. I don't know if you really had that. It had a a little emblem on it that says Konami on it. He's part of the Konami army. (laughs) Yeah. 
He's firing an RPG towards the viewer. You see a lot of Russian-style architecture in the background in flames enveloping them. Mm-hmm. The arcade flyer, I noticed, promotes the actual guy in the picture to arcade operators as the best collector you'll ever have. Why's uh, that? Well, I think he's promising that he's going to collect a lot of quarters from would-be oh, players. Okay. They're all aimed at the arcade operator to get them to buy the game and mm-hmm. put it in their arcade. So that was, Is this something you'd have in your living room? The game itself? The cabinet, yeah. Is this like striking enough that you'd want to... I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Another flyer suggests to prepare for realistic action and attack the enemy and then free the POWs in that specific order. As we mentioned, there were several home ports, right? Mm -hmm. The NES version was released in 1987 by Konami. I think that's still my favorite of the home... Mm-hmm. Ports, yeah. It came out in Japan as a Famicom Disk System game. It was oh, not on wow. cartridge. It was titled Green Beret in Japan. So, how was the game on NES? Did you think it improved on what the arcade game had to offer? I think so. I think it was a fun game. It added two extra levels. Mm-hmm. I think they took away the flamethrower. Okay. And gave you two other weapons instead. Mm-hmm. Like, a, like a pistol or something. But otherwise, it was more or less the same. I mean, because the graphics were not that great to begin with in the arcade, that it's not that much different on the NES version. Your kid game almost looks like it could have been an NES game. It's, yeah, it could have been. So I thought it was a good port. The music transferred over. Um, NES might even have better sounds. Yeah. I liked it. I consider Russian Attack as like, it's a classic game, but I put it like in the B tier of classic games. It's not like an A tier of, yeah. you know, this is like a must have, but it's like, it's a really good game, but it's definitely not in the top 100 of best games of all time or anything. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I, I played it a lot. It was good. I think apparently there was even a play choice version of this game. Oh, it's possible. It was, yeah. it was, it was offered. Well, I worked on a timer, right? And you put a quarter into Probably. a standard game. Mm-hmm. It makes sense because, like you said, if you can survive long enough, you can beat the whole game in 10 minutes. Yeah. Which, for a home cartridge, is probably not that great of a value. (laughs) So naturally they changed it up to make it more like the type of game that you would want to play at home. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the great thing about the home version too, is that the Konami booklets, the instruction manuals mm -hmm. were always really entertaining to read. They had always good art in it. Uh, Whoever wrote those books always put a lot of work into Uh puns and other things. Yeah. I don't know if they had really that much to work with for this game. I know it's true. (laughs) There were some other home versions, though. Most of them ported by Imagine Software, which was a label of Ocean Software. I know one of your favorites. Wow. Did they make everything in (laughs) Europe back then? A lot of these versions came out between 1986 and 1989. So they made versions for the BBC Micro, the Spectrum, the Amstrad CPC. There were even versions for MSX. Commodore Plus 4 and Commodore 64 versions. Those were actually different. Very different, yeah. There were even some for Thompson Computers in France. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah. And even the Atari 8-bit line, which I'm a bit surprised at since I don't recall yeah, ever too. seeing that game. I don't know. I never saw it. There was also a DOS version in 1989 published by Konami themselves. But I think they outsourced that to some other development house. Okay. It was also included as uh, 2002's Konami Collector Series Arcade Advance for GBA. It was more like the NES version because it had the extra stages, but you needed the Konami code to unlock it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because it was still an arcade port, but they redid the stages of the NES versions and mm-hmm. they added those in, hmm. which was kind of cool. Neat. Neat idea. Yeah. 
And also a DS collection of Konami games called Konami Classic Series Arcade Hits. And those were more arcade ports. So that might actually be the best home version to mm-hmm. get. Gotta look for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also in 2007, there was an Xbox Live Arcade version for Xbox 360, uh-huh. which featured an optional mode with enhanced graphics and sound. How'd that turn out? It's kind of interesting. The soundtrack ends up sounding a bit like just a general MIDI-style score. I mean, not much more to it, but more realistic sound effects, definitely. But did they add music to it, or is it still just that it's dumb still, drum roll? It's thing? still the snare drum. Okay. <laughs> it's just a more high-quality snare drum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, more realistic siren sounds. Right. right. Things like that. Uh, so there was kind of an unofficial sequel to this game, released in 1988, titled M.I.A. Missing in Action, Mm -hmm. which was similar in many respects, kind of played the same, but it was not explicitly called Green Beret or Russian Attack, so it didn't really have any direct lineage with the first game, and no relation to Chuck Norris, just because it was called Missing in Action. (laughs) It was not based on the Chuck Norris movie. But there was an official sequel Mm -hmm. called Russian Attack Expatriate, and that came out in 2011 on PSN and Xbox Live Arcade. And that was a totally different type of game. That was more of what we would call a Metroidvania-style game, a little bit similar to, like, Shadow Complex or... Yeah, it looks kind of like that, too. Yeah, Bionic Commando Rearmed. It Mm -hmm. has that style of gameplay. I think it got kind of weak reviews, though. I don't think it was that great, but I never tried it personally. Yeah, I think I just played the demo of that. I never bought that one. Mm -hmm. Going back to the home ports, I noticed that on some of the home versions where you would have your, like, little picture of your guy's face in the corner of the screen that Uh represented how many lives you had, some of the home versions had the Soviet hammer and sickle Mm -hmm. insignia to represent how many lives you have. Right. Which I thought was kind of weird because you're not, I don't think you're supposed to be, like, a Russian yourself. So why would they use that symbol as... To represent your lives. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that kind of weird? I guess they're just going all that, in on the Russian theme. Yeah, maybe. that's That could be it, too. Because the arcade wasn't like that at all. It was mm-hmm. just the soldier's head. Right. It's a weird observation, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I wonder, were those versions Green Beret? Or were those Russian Attack? It might be Green Beret, because the NES Russian Attack did not have that Soviet mm-hmm. logo on there. You know, the hammer and sickle. So. Okay. Yeah, so overall, you know, what, great game, mediocre, so-so, how do you think it aged? Not great. Not great, yeah. I think the gameplay is pretty simplistic. It is. Computer AI is terrible. Well, yeah, I mean, there's really no attempt to even... Sound effects of poor. Yeah, I mean, the enemy soldiers have no sense of self-reservation. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, yeah, sound effects, rudimentary, nothing too extravagant here, but... I guess, you know, an interesting reflection of what was available at the time. Right, yeah. Just wanted to see if it held up in any respect. Probably worse than I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Worse than you remember it. Yeah, for sure. Some games are better left to memory Uh in our heads. I I just played this like two months ago. I put it on. Mm -hmm. So that's why I remember some of these things. And I I remember playing through it. I'm like, I don't remember this game being like just this blah, you know? Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, so that's pretty much what I played this time around. Uh, it was also some 
shark activity. At the beach? Did you go swimming? No, no, not at all. So, I mean, I don't know if you know, but like Discovery Channel, they always make this big thing about Shark Week. Shark Week, I've heard of that. Yeah, they run a lot of shark documentaries. It's been a thing for a while, right? A couple years. Yeah, they try to make it like a reason for people to care about science, you know? Yeah, I I feel like it started that way, where it's like you can learn about sharks and then turn it into something else, Mm -hmm. like flying sharks or something. (laughs) Well, the Sci-Fi Channel decided to get in on it a little bit. Okay. So, after Shark Week, I think they ran their own... Sharknado week <laughs> because there was a new Sharknado movie coming out uh-huh. and they took that opportunity to run a whole bunch of other shark movies ridiculous shark movies I'm going to run some of these titles by you <laughs> wait, wait. so you're saying there are shark movies and then there are ridiculous shark movies <laughs> well <laughs> you be the judge okay alright so you tell me what you think which one of these do you think you would watch okay so one of them was called Ice Sharks Ice Sharks okay yeah Okay. A group of ravenous sharks terrorize scientists on a floating research station in the Arctic Ocean, forcing the frightened men and women to fight for their lives before they're eaten alive. Mm. Sounds pretty basic, right? Mm, yeah. Nothing too crazy. Okay, how about Atomic Shark? I like where that one's going. Okay. <laughs> I like atomic energy. A radioactive shark is on the loose, and it's up to a group of lifeguards to save nice. everyone. This sounds like an episode of Baywatch or something. Yeah. Does it glow? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. That one features David Faustino from Married with Children. No, no kidding. <laughs> So that's where I ended up. And Jeff Fahey, also known as Lawnmower Man. Ah, nice. <laughs> All right, so another one was called RoboShark. RoboShark, huh? Mm-hmm. And now, wait, did he start out as Robocod? <laughs> <laughs> that might be a trademark uh, infringement. Okay. No, this one occurs when a great white shark sinks its teeth into an alien space probe in the Pacific, and it creates a RoboShark. A RoboShark. <laughs> Are these this is for real? These are real movies. Wow. All right, I'm How gonna, do they ever get funding to make these things? I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move ahead. Okay. Di- a dino shark. Dino shark. So that would be what some kind of like hybrid. Yeah, exactly. Shark? Dinosaur shark hybrid. Exactly wow. right. A zombie shark. A zombie shark. Ghost shark. <laughs> <laughs> Paranormal shark. Toxic shark. Damn sharks. This one's interesting. Now, this is damn without the end at the end. Without the end. Okay. Right. So, this one... Clever title. A group of sharks begin building dams out of human bodies, which they obtain from a corporate retreat. This is clearly some type of comedy horror type movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can't take that one too seriously. I'm glad they're taking this event seriously. (laughs) This shark week. They gotta hype it up any way they can. So, three-headed shark attack. Would that one interest you? A three-headed shark attack. I... Wonder how that works. Mm-hmm. I would. I like. The, how do they get along? <laughs> the, the, all the heads. All the heads. Yeah. Well, how about five-headed shark attack? That's another five-headed one. Five-headed one. Right? Mm-hmm. This one's more of like a starfish configuration, but it's all shark heads on all sides. <laughs> they move on to more geographical stuff. There's Malibu shark attack, Jersey Shore shark attack, <laughs> swamp shark, mm-hmm. Mississippi River sharks. That doesn't even sound like an actual like shark movie. That's a real movie. It is? Okay. Mm-hmm. Empire of the Sharks. Is that some kind of Star Wars? Is this like <laughs> yeah. sharks in space or something? I don't think so. Okay. No, not in this case. There is Planet of the Sharks, though. Planet, of course. Then we have Sharktopus. We get into the more mutated ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharktopus versus Terracuda. These all like recent movies? Uh, fairly recent. Okay. So these aren't like, they're not digging through the black and white archives or anything? I think Public most domain. of these are since 2010. Wow. Believe it or not. I'm going to believe it, but I really don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sharktopus vs. Terracuda stars Conan O'Brien and Robert Carradine. No of so it's a comedy? Revenge of the Nerds fame. Maybe. Mm, okay, maybe. Okay. Maybe this is they're not so serious. Mm. 
Sharktopus versus Whalewolf. Not Werewolf. Whalewolf. Whalewolf. Yes. Uh, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Mm-hmm. Mega Shark versus Colossus. I like the sound so of this. So Mega one. Shark comes back. So I guess he lives in that first movie. Okay. Probably so. Now in Mega Shark versus Colossus, Colossus is a giant robot left over from the Cold War, created by Russian scientists. Mm. So, and then of course we eventually get the Sharknado, the Shark movie, not Sharknado like our. No, no, not at all. Okay. These movies star uh, Ian Ziering and. Tara Reed. I've never seen any of those movies. Me neither. I was going to ask you, did you watch, like, did you have a marathon of these? Or I haven't watched any of them yet. I hoping you were going to say no, but... I just recorded them all, and I'm going to watch them when I get that urge. I think they know how ridiculous they are. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Because uh, the cast of these movies gets more and more ridiculous. I mean, you have people like uh, Judd Hirsch shows up in one of these. Judd Hirsch. Of Taxi. Uh, Taxi, right? Yeah. yeah. Dear John. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Kurt Angle. Oh, really? Olympic wrestler. Uh, Does he give the, the shark a angle slam or whatever you call Maybe. Uh-huh. Could be. That's He's in the second one. Uh, you've got uh, Michael Winslow. Oh, the sound effect guy. Yeah. Uh, I like Chris movie. Jericho. Really? <laughs> David Hasselhoff. Gary Busey. Mm. Ultimately culminates in Sharknado 5, which is the new one. Global Swarming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there was a full roster of, of shark movies. And if sharks are not your thing, they also had RoboCroc. You could check out that movie instead. So there's RoboShark and then RoboCroc. Okay. Yeah. Dino Croc versus Super Gator is another one. So, full range of monster movies. Mostly sharks, but, you know. I like card sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to always watch that. I think I you got to switch over to the game show network yeah. for that. You think that they will have a marathon for Shark Week? Mm-hmm. Card sharks. What, I, I wouldn't be surprised... <laughs> If they played that up. What was that really... Well, I thought it was dumb because I was a little bit older, but it was a cartoon with, like, shark fighters and stuff. Uh-huh. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was, like, in the 90s, I think. Yeah, I do remember that. Street Sharks, maybe? Street Sharks. Yeah, I think so. They wore, like, shorts and maybe... Uh-huh. There was a toy line, right? I think Associated was, with that. Yeah. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> so this goes back, this whole obsession with sharks. Of I think course, so. Jaws. Of course. Which is a classic. Yeah. That did kick it all off. It did it? Is that like one of the early I feel like it must movies? be, right? Mm, I mean, yeah. Wow. You educated me on things I didn't know about. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I take it all back. And then, yeah. <laughs> all right. So why don't we talk about a new Kickstarter that was going on right now and caught my interest because I'm curious on what you think about this mm. concept. There's a project right now to create what's called the All Controller. All as in... As in, it works for any and every anything. game system so you've you, got. universal controller. Pretty much. Okay. So I can use it on my Saturn, my Game Boy. Well, my... I don't think it goes back that far. Oh, this is not... This is more or less... For modern stuff. Modern okay. uh, type of system. So this, for what you showed me, it seems like the Harmony Remote version of a controller. That is what they're going for. Okay. It's even got a little LCD screen on the controller. Uh-huh. And you can program it to map to any input that the original controller had. So this will override the default controller inputs? You don't have to stick to the same layout. If okay. you want to change it, you can. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what they're going for is PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, Xbox One, PC, Mac... Android, iOS on some level, and they say they're also working on the Nintendo systems, this Wii, the Wii U, and the Switch. Hmm. 
So that's supposedly coming soon. I mean, it makes sense because Bluetooth is sort of like a universal connection. Mm. But these consoles all have their own finicky ways of working and they all need to be licensed and all these things. So when you get into like, you know, Sony is very picky about who licenses controllers to work with the PS4. Right. Apple especially is very, very picky on the button configurations. Everything has to be a certain way. They're going to be trying to do too much, a little bit than what they're capable of. So because of that, I think they're not going with the default built-in wireless connectivity for those systems. They've uh-huh. got a USB receiver to plug into those systems. Oh, so like and, dongles. And- right. So that is going to masquerade basically as a wired controller to the system. So it doesn't really have to adhere mm. to their wireless standards. Okay. So that's kind of how they get around it. But it also means you need that extra piece okay. to work with those systems. Hmm. You can buy the controller without that dongle piece. Okay. But if you do want wireless connectivity you do have to get it otherwise you can still plug in through a regular usb cord Hmm. and i think it also comes down to what has this company made in the past because Mm. it's not easy to make a good controller as you can tell like how many years have we had controllers and how many good ones are there really like there's very few really good controllers on the market right even like valve you know that steam controller which is Uh sort of mixed reviews i would say and they put a lot of development into that Right. And that controller was trying to solve the whole mouse and keyboard idea. Which is something that this controller is looking into, too. Yeah, right. So that's one of the things that they're saying you can do with this thing. You can map keyboard input to buttons on the controller, and this way you can play games that were never designed to work with a controller and only had keyboard controls or keyboard and mouse combination. Mm -hmm. You can supposedly make it work with this setup and it's fully configurable. You can set the sensitivity, you can set how much movement each control stick has or what the dead zone uh, is like in the center. I'm a little skeptical personally. It is currently already in prototype form. So a lot a few people have gotten early versions of this controller and have been able to test it out. And the campaign is live right now. And, you know, we're not talking about this in order to give them any kind of promotion. We're not endorsing it, obviously. But we're just kind of wondering, like, is this controller something that anybody would really need or want? I think it's such a small audience. Like, first of all, those Harmony remotes, even that. Mm -hmm. Like, how many people really are into the... Like, that's such a tiny, tiny, tiny percent of people. You have to have a lot of components to really justify. A lot, because they're not cheap. (laughs) Well, and also, like, the tech know-how on how to program those things, because they're not easy to program. It it takes some effort on your part. It takes some planning, and, you know, mm -hmm. you want to... Because what a lot of these uh, devices do, and including this controller, is they almost act as macros. You can program them to do multiple actions at once. So, you know, with this type of uh, remote control for your home entertainment system, you can program it to do things like switch to this input and power this device on and then, you know, select this other device to control. And the same thing with this controller. You can sort of program to do macros and complex things with like a single button. It's funny when I watched the Kickstarter and they showed the whole programming macros into it. Yeah. The first thing that came into my mind was that old Bandai mega controller on the NES. Uh-huh. And that thing was so horrible to control because it was like this really cheesy like LCD on it mm-hmm. to program macros. Oh, it was awful. It was really awful. So definitely not the first to do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
I just don't know what the appeal is of having a single controller that works on all of your yeah, systems. Yeah, I'm not sure either. It seems like it's more work because let's say you want to go from one system to the other. I mean, it does have that LCD screen on it, so you can select which controller it should act as. Mm-hmm. But then, if you rely on that dongle, you either need multiple versions of that dongle, or you have to move it from one system to the other in order for it to work. And then with multiplayer games, how does that work? Can you use two at the same time, or Mm -hmm. is that Bluetooth going to interfere, or how does that... Yeah, I don't know if they really demoed uh, like Mm -hmm. multiplayer setups, but I'm sure that's got to be part of their design. I can't imagine it wouldn't be. I just don't know what problem this solves, really. I mean, I know... Some people Clutter, might like the idea of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, when you buy a game console, it comes with a controller. So it's not like you're saving having to get a controller for it. And this thing seems to be more expensive than first-party controllers. Yeah, uh-huh. So is it just for consistent feel? Like, hey, I got one controller that I can use for all my systems, and I now I don't have to adjust? Yeah. It's a gadget, yeah. And, and that's probably plays a lot into it, of the saying, you know, like you said, I have six consoles hooked up and I could just use this one controller on my Mm -hmm. coffee table that's going to pick up and choose any console I want and play. Right. Well, I know some people prefer the PlayStation DualShock design and then other people prefer the Xbox style, like asymmetric. Like I don't like that idea of that universal controller because I like to see what other companies come up with with different controller designs Mm -hmm. and to know like when I play an Xbox 360, like I know what configuration I'm in for, and I know games are going to feel different than if I play them on a PlayStation or something else. And I kind of like that, maybe because I grew up with having different controllers for different mm-hmm. machines. Okay. And that makes it interesting to me. And I almost like the idea better where you can buy adapters to say, well, I love that Xbox 360 controller with this game. I like to use it on my PlayStation, so let me buy this converter that allows me to plug that in, you know, to do mm-hmm. that. Okay. I mean, personally, I don't really feel like I prefer the PlayStation or the Xbox style. I think I'm comfortable with either one. I can use either one interchangeably. Okay. And it kind of, it's kind of the same for me either yeah. way. I mean, there were some that were better than others, you know. Well, I mean, there are some that are bad that you think could use improvement. But I yeah. think both designs are mature enough that... Yeah, the modern ones. I don't really notice that, you know, one's definitely better than the other. Once I'm using it and it's in my hands, I kind of tune the controller out. And it's just okay. kind of me in the game, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But going back to your point, I mean, do you care about using the original controller for a system if you're using it under emulation, for example? Like if you're playing an NES game, do you feel you need to have an NES controller? That's a good question. For a long time, I did believe that was the case. Like I felt like using a PlayStation controller on you know an NES game mm-hmm. just like wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. But that kind of went away pretty quick when I picked up an NES controller and I said, wow, this did not feel good. You know, the NES controllers did not age very well, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt it much more comfortable to use a modern controller. But that even goes way back to, like, the, I mean, the old days when, you know, there was Genesis and Master System, mm-hmm. and they all used that DB9 port, I guess right. it was. So, I remember the Sega Master System controller was pretty awful, I thought. Mm-hmm. So, I used to use, I think, um, it was a... Uh, a controller I think I used to use for my Atari 800 that I used to have. Okay. And I used that on the Master System, and, and that was my replacement. And and then I used to interchange them, like, with ColecoVision, because they're all the same port. Mm-hmm. And an original Atari would work, too. But I never thought of it back then, like, oh, this is wrong. Like, I can't use a D-pad on the Atari 2600. Like, uh-huh. this isn't right. Back then, it made sense, because the D-pad was very different from a control stick. Different yeah, shapes sure. and different sizes give you different feelings, so... Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I do see that kind of sentiment repeated a lot yeah. among other retro gamers. I see them saying a lot of times, you know, I need to have an NES pad if I'm going to play an NES game. Not just because they say it controls better or they just want it for nostalgia's sake to pretend that you're back when you first played yeah. those games. That More mental, right? You, you, you want to have that same feel in your hands. The, yeah. But to me, that's not a comfortable controller. It's I mean, not. It, there's nothing ergonomic about it. It's just a rectangle. Yeah. You know, and... It's very uncomfortable, I feel actually. like controllers have evolved They've and come, sure, yeah. uh, become, like, a lot better to use. So even when I play old games, I, I'm using an Xbox One controller in most cases yeah. on my PC. Mm-hmm. Just because even that's an improvement over the 360 controller, which traditionally has always had a pretty terrible D-pad. And I think with the Xbox One, they fixed that. Right, much better. Uh (laughs) So I don't really feel a need to use anything else. I I think that things get a little weird once you started getting into... Well, I mean, like Sega Genesis, because of that three-button layout, Mm -hmm. I still do kind of prefer like the horizontal... like six button sort of configuration yeah well with six buttons i think that adds enough complexity with three buttons you can kind of fake it with yeah with the four face buttons. it's still not the same to me because i don't uh-huh. know it doesn't feel the same in a lot of games right well I, I pointed out to you recently too that you know snk players would say that you know without the four buttons in a row arrangement right. <laughs> on a neo geo cabinet you're not playing those games right either that's true that's right <laughs> Uh, I mean, N64 had that weird uh, configuration, yeah, yeah. which is kind of hard to emulate on. So you get those kind of like it can be oddball cases, but I see what you're saying. Like generally, though, uh-huh. mm-hmm. for most arcade games, I do prefer to use a type of stick, and that's why I ended up buying that Kanba joystick to right. use for arcade games because I feel like I need that eight-way precision. I don't really get that same feeling from a D-pad, so that's really the only case that I feel like I need to step away from. The normal modern controller. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I see your point, because I'm not sure what problem that is trying to fix. Mm -hmm. I I didn't think this was a big issue that people were were facing, but uh, maybe it is? I don't know. Mm. Because I have like a shoebox underneath my table Uh with a whole bunch of controllers in it that work with all the consoles, and I don't really have that many consoles hooked up, maybe like four or five. Mm. So I can see how that could get out of hand for people, because, you know, if you've two or three family members in the house and you have eight consoles, you know, that kind of add up to quite a bit of controllers to play with. But right. I kind of like the idea of trying out like third party controllers and see which one feels better. And I'm always hoping that like someone perfects it. And I don't know if I trust this, whoever's making this thing to come up with like the perfect controller that feels great and is made with high quality and, you know, the battery lasts well. And I, I don't know if I trust them. I mean, Mm-hmm. Very few companies can seem to be able to make a good controller. It does take a lot of research and iterations and mm-hmm. sort of refining the design over time. So you would think once we've gotten there, we should be able to kind of retain it yeah, and maybe just build on it. But yeah, it seems like there's just no shortage of kind of bad third-party controllers. They're always a little bit off compared to the first parties have been able to come up with. Uh, but I guess at the same time, they want to offer something different than what the original has. I mean, if you wanted an original, you could just get an original. And they, I suppose their role is to provide an alternative. Uh, but it seems like a lot of people have gone in on it. The Kickstarter has already doubled its goal and plenty of time left on it. I think it still has at least another 40 days left. Wow. So I think they're going to go ahead with it. 
So but, we'll see in two years when they start making these things. <laughs> They've already been able to essentially come out with like finished versions. So I think they're poised to start cranking them out if they, mm, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm always very skeptical about these Kickstarter mm-hmm. campaigns. They never seem to ever really pan out to be anything great. Mm-hmm. It's all being done in Canadian funds. So apparently, I guess there's a Canadian company behind this. Oh, okay. The controller with the wireless connector, the dongle, is going to be 110 Canadian, which is about $88 US currency. It's still less than the Elite controller, Xbox One. Yeah. Well, that has a whole other set of yeah. features to it. <laughs> so this thing does have, like, paddle triggers. I don't mean rotary I controllers. I wish it was paddle. But that's what they call, that's what they call those... Paddles making a comeback again. That's what they call these type of control button Yeah, thing. like back buttons. Yeah, like uh-huh. the, the underside buttons. Okay. I kind of wish... The L2, R2 buttons were normally in that position. I think that would be more comfortable Yeah, they need to lower those buttons, right? The bumpers, the two, like, shoulder buttons. Rather than putting, like, right next to each other. Right next to each other, I think is a little... Mm -hmm. It's not that comfortable for me. I would prefer, like, two on the bottom Mm -hmm. and then two on top. Maybe this controller can solve that problem for me. All right, so maybe possible. Maybe you might look (laughs) into it. I don't know. Take a wait-and-see approach. I mean, I'll definitely be curious to know how this turns out, mm-hmm. if people like it or not. Maybe, you know, could be something good. And the only situation, I should say, that I really did wish I had a universal controller was in the case of an arcade stick. In the case of mm-hmm. a giant $150, like... I agree. You know, mm-hmm. I, first of all, I don't want multiple giant sticks taking up space in my living room. That's a problem I'm wrestling with. Uh-huh. <laughs> but also the fact that you spend so much on one controller, you do kind of want it to work with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to play, let's say, fighting games or, you know, arcade shooters or anything else that requires a large arcade type of stick, yeah, I'd want it to hook up to all my consoles and all my PCs because I don't want to have more than one of these things. And to date, none that I know of universally work with everything. I mean, they all require maybe an extra adapter or, you know, you have to get the Xbox version to get that extra special circuitry that the Xbox needs. And then you can mod it to also work with the PlayStation. I've seen situations like that. Yeah. But it's never just a clean off the shelf. It just works with everything Uh kind of solution. So I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I agree. mm -hmm. I would like to see that, too. Right, and then I would say I want a controller like that to also be modular, so that you can also add. Now the, you're asking for lot. the two, the type of controls, the custom controls that you don't get on a normal controller. Yeah, well, they kind of have those. Yeah, you can get those. This place that customize joystick housings for you. Yeah. So you can have them drill like dummy holes and spots, and then you can just buy caps, and so when you're ready, you can always mm-hmm. kind of add your own parts in there and stuff. Right. Compatibility. There's maybe like one brand out there that you can buy. If I think especially if you build your own, mm-hmm. that'll work on like PC, Xbox One, and PS4. Yeah. I think that there is an encoder board that can do that. Okay. But your options are pretty limited mm-hmm. unless you want to spend the money on converters and stuff. Mm. And now we have Nintendo Switch to worry about too. Yeah. Well, I think they <laughs> use regular Bluetooth. So uh-huh. it seems to be like this, you know, the 8 stuff works on them. So Okay. I don't know if Nintendo has to, like, sign off on those Bluetooth controllers or not. I don't know. I'm not sure. I wonder how the 8 is doing that. Is it just normal Bluetooth? Generic? So you can just hook up anything? Because if yeah, that's the I case... Yeah, I don't know if a switch mode on, on the... Because my mind, 8 didn't say anything about, like, you yeah. know... Because it has, like, four settings. And I don't remember there being, like... If you were playing Switch, use setting four or anything mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. 
I just wonder if, because since Xbox One controllers now support generic, regular Bluetooth connectivity, uh-huh. so they can work on a PC without anything extra, yeah, right? I wonder if that means they'll work on a Switch as yeah. well. Oh, wow. That would be huh. funny. I'm sure someone has tested it. Mm. I gotta hunt that information down. Okay. Well... I guess that's about it for this time. What do you mm-hmm. think? Sounds good. All right. So, as always, look out for the sharks and the Russians. Visit us at facebook.com slash Bites. Leave us your comments and feedback if you have any to share. And also visit theretrojunkies.com for more podcast fun, if that's your thing. And I suppose if there's nothing else, we'll see you later. Bye.